Well, if you're ready to get into the Word this morning, would you shout praise God? Praise God. Would you just lift your hands with me right now and just say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Lord, I open up my heart to receive your Word this morning. So speak to me, and I'll obey you. In Jesus' name, I give him praise right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's go to the book of Judges, and let's go to the six chapters we pick up from where we left off last Sunday, Judges, the sixth chapter. We are going through the book of Judges because there are so many examples that we have here that relate to us today also relate to the New Testament. Notice everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. It's everything that's in the New Testament is just um, it is a fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a foundation for the New Testament. If we didn't have an Old Testament, we couldn't have a New Testament. And the New Testament without the Old Testament would be standing alone. There would be actually uh, no foundation. So it's the Old Testament that gives us the foundation. And you'll notice when Jesus talked, many times he quoted the Old Testament. Uh, he quoted Isaiah or uh, uh, he, and, and same with the others, uh, the apostles, they would quote from the Old Testament, bring it up into the New Testament, and now even today, here we are 2,000 years later, and we are bringing the, the relevancy of God's Word right now into our lives and into our midst. We are, uh, we are focusing in on abundant life, living the abundant life, and the abundant life is so critical to a child of God because Jesus promised it. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. Now, when we receive that abundant life, you have to understand something that God touches you in every area of your life. He will literally increase your knowledge. You know, you have limited knowledge, but God in the abundant life, when you come and, and give your life to Jesus, he will literally increase your knowledge where you are able to understand things that you could not understand before. He will literally develop your wisdom. Wisdom is something that you don't have. It's something that comes from God. The Bible says that, that God is all wisdom. And he says that we are to pursue wisdom. He says in all of, all of your seeking, uh, uh, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Wisdom, it comes from God. So he increases your wisdom. He also, he affects your, your spirit. He will cause your spirit to become strong. He affects your body. It will become healthy. Many people, when they come to Christ, they're all broken down physically. But what happens is suddenly their body begins to repair itself and begins to heal. And God begins to show them what to do in order to bring strength to their body. It's amazing what abundant life does. It, it, full, it fulfills the whole life. Uh, the mind. I've seen people come to God that had a real broken mind. Uh, they, they had troubles mentally, but God would heal their mind, and they become sound-minded. It's amazing what God does when we come to Him and we enter into that abundant life. This is the reason it is so critical for us as children of God to understand all of the ramifications of abundant life. He also affects our social life. It becomes fulfilled. You know, before we were seemingly seeking for a social life. It seemed like we, we, were, we felt empty, and, and we were trying to do something to fulfill that empty, 
emptiness in our life. But it's amazing how when we come to Christ, our social life is fulfilled. We're just satisfied. Praise God. He also affects and increases our finances. It's amazing how many people, when they come to God, and their, their finances are just, in, they're, uh, they're in the toilet. But how God begins to bless them and begins to increase them in their finances. And they begin to start a checking account, a savings account, and they begin to have extra money, and they're finding money in their pocket. Well, before, they were, uh, they were having struggles in that area. But the abundant life affects every facet of our life. And this is what Jesus came to give us. He came to give us abundant life. Can you say amen? Now, our emphasis today is tear down and build up. There are some things in our life that hinder us from receiving the fullness of God's blessings. And what God speaks to us about is there are certain things that you have to tear down in your life. There are certain things that you have to get rid of. There are certain things in your life that are hindering your relationship with me or hindering your relationship with the abundant life. So that you've got to get rid of some of these things so that you can build up. Sometimes you have to demolish a building before you can build in that area. Are you with me this morning? If you are, say amen. So we're going to see here as Gideon being our example, God speaks to him and tells him there's something you've got to tear down before you can build up. In Judges, the sixth chapter, and in the 25th verse, follow along as I read. It says here, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Now, God is is saying to Gideon, he said, I want you to take your father's prize bull, and I want you to go to the altar that your father has created unto Baal, and I want you to pull it down. I want you to tear it down because this is the reason your nation is in trouble. This is the reason now you are no longer the leading nation in the world, but now you seemingly are under the thumb of every nation, and you're, you're being defeated, and you're now running in fear, and, and your, your, your life is, is in squalor. You're you're, you're defeated because you're worshiping a dead God. You're worshiping Baal. So what I'm asking you to do, Gideon, is this. Go get your dad's prize bull. Have him pull down this altar. Pull it down. Destroy this thing because you don't want anything to hinder your relationship with me. Because I've got some great things in store for you. You are to be the leading nation. You are to be the most powerful nation on the planet, but you've got to tear down this altar. Now watch this. And he said, then I want you to cut down the grove that is by it. Now the grove that was by it was, a, was a, an area of totem poles where they had literally created idols out of dead trees, and they would worship them. And God says to Gideon, I want you to tear these totem poles down. I want you to get rid of all of this grove here. Every idol that is in there, tear it down, and I want you to burn it. Notice what he says in the, in the 26th verse. And then I want you to build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. In the what? 
order place. He said, exactly where I want you to build it. You don't go build it where you want to build it. You build it where I tell you to build it. I want you to build it on top of this rock. I want it to be outstanding. And I want you to take that second bullock, your dad's prize bull, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Now, I want you to take that prize bull, and I want you to give it to me. I want you to sacrifice it and give it to me. I want you to give me your best. I don't want second best. I don't want, I don't want the leftovers. I want your best. So I want you to offer this bull unto me, and I want you to use the idols as the wood to burn the sacrifice with. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and he did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was, and he did as the Lord said unto him, and so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. That he did it by what? Night. So he still had fear in his heart. Fear, even though God had spoken to him and told him what to do, he was still struggling with fear. Now, let me say this to you. It is imperative, if you're going to live the abundant life, to tear down some of those things in your life that are hindering you from being obedient to God. Some of those things that are coming between you and God. It may be selfishness. It may be a low self-esteem. It may be some offense you're holding on to. It may be a bad attitude. It may be bad thoughts. It may be having a pity party every time you don't get your way. It may be you just have a bad personality. And you just have a hard time getting along with anybody. And anybody has a hard time getting along with you. He says, you got to get rid of these things because these things are hindering your relationship with me and they're hindering your relationship with others. God said to Gideon, the first thing you have to do is throw down this altar that has been that your father built to Baal. Tear it down and you've got to tear down the grove and you've got to burn them. This is a blatant sin that grieves God and it hinders the people from living the abundant life. Then next God says, what I want you to do is build an altar unto the Lord thy God. You've got to build it and build it the way I want you to build it. And you have to present to me what I want you to present to me. And then we see that Gideon, he acquires 10 men that seem to have the same aspiration as he does, and that is to get rid of the old, to get rid of the past, and bring everything into a new relationship with God. And these 10 men, they come together with Gideon, and they have this desire to do exactly what God is saying. They say, you know what? We want to bring our nation back. We want to bring our nation back to, to the leadership position. We want to bring our nation back to worshiping God and serving God. Let's get rid of these things that have hindered our relationship with God. Let's get rid of these things that have been hurting us. Let's get rid of these things that have, that have hindered our lives. Let's get rid of these things. And so he has 10 men come together with him and they agree with him that they are going to tear down the altar of Baal and they are going to cut down those idols. Now, the purpose of the church is to give people encouragement. It is to give them direction. It is to give them support. 
so that they will know the word of God, so that they will know the will of God, so that they will be obedient to God. The purpose of the church is to build up the body of Christ and to bring people into a relationship with God so that they can live the abundant life, so people can look at the children of God and say, wow, I wish I could be like them. Wow, I wish I could be blessed like they are. Wow, I wish that my life was as strong as they are. But saints, we've come to a day where we have compromised our relationship with God for the things of the world. We have allowed things to come into our life. We've allowed things to creep into our life to take us away from that wonderful relationship with God. And therefore, it stunts the abundant life. It hinders the abundant life. We can't live that abundant life so that others can see our, our light and give glory and honor to God. They don't say, well, I wish I could be a Christian. But no, they're saying, I'd rather be like somebody else. I'd rather take on the relationship of somebody else. But we've got to come back to that place where we say, God, I deny myself. I give myself to you. I surrender my life to you. All that I am, all that I ever hope to be, I give it all to you, God. Because God, I want others to see my good works. And I want them to give glory and honor to you and say, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to get saved. I want to get right with God. Can somebody say amen? Somebody put your hands together and give it up for Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give us our first PowerPoint. There are things that come between God and us that he says we must tear down. It may be as little as, as just an innocent thing as the Internet. You are so, and, and it's called the net for a reason. You've got to understand this, Okay. It's literally a trap. It will literally consume your life when you should be doing something for God. When you should be obedient to God, you're in a net. You're trapped by this internet. And your life is consumed with this. Sometimes we have to say, God, I stop it. I know sometimes when I get on the internet, two or three hours pass and it seemed like I was only there five minutes. I go, how can that be? I just got on it. And the time had just flown. And I thought of how many people, they walk around with it. It's in their hand. They're just, con just constantly, they don't even see traffic. They don't, even, they don't see anything. All they see, they're just glued. Walk around like this. And some of them are screaming loud, talking loud into it. I don't know what they're saying, but they're talking. They're stuck to it. Can't live without it. They go to bed with it. They go to work with it. They go to school with it. The whole life is consumed by the net. It doesn't seem like anything that, to be that important, but it is, saints, because it's taking us away from hearing God. We're so consumed with hearing things and hearing people that we're not hearing the voice of God. We're not hearing the Spirit of God. God cannot penetrate our skulls because we're so consumed with the things of the world. Somebody say amen. Now, so there are some things that God will say, you got to stop, got to stop. Now, I'm not saying the internet's sin. I'm saying what it is. You can make it sin. Because you allow it to consume your life, it dominates your life. You spend hours 
when you should be spending time with God, when you should be listening to God. You should be reading God's word. You should be focusing in on God. Somebody say amen or oh me. Amen, praise God. Now, there's some, some things that we have to lay aside, the Bible says, if we're going to experience the abundant life. God will speak to you directly. It's, 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 it's evident. He will speak to you. He will convict you. And he won't let you alone until you obey him. The reason he does this is because he loves you. He loves you so much. He will give you wisdom. He will give you knowledge to feed your faith and to starve doubt. This is what God wants. He wants you to feed your faith, and he wants you to starve doubt. I want you to go with me to Hebrews. Let's go to the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12. The book of Hebrews is a reflection of the Old Testament, bringing us up into our time, telling us what the Old Testament means, and it is defined to us in Hebrews. Hebrews 12 and 1 and 2. If you have it, say praise God. Let's read it together. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice what the Apostle Paul is telling us here in the, those first two verses. He said, we have a great cloud of witnesses. These are the people that have already gone before us. They've already overcome. They've, or, they've already made their commitment to God. They have lived their life for God, and they have laid aside every sin, every weight. They've laid it aside. They are the example. You see them in the Old Testament. And this is what, this is what uh, he's referring to. He calls them a cloud. It's a dense throng of people who have already committed their lives to God. And they have laid aside everything that would hinder their relationship with God. He said, you've got them as a witness. You've got them as an example. He said, now understand what they have done. And now he said, you are to follow suit. He says here, and you are to lay aside just as they did every weight, which is every hindrance, and every sin, which means to miss the mark, which does so easily beset you, which so, so easily besets you. It so easily pulls you back in. It so easily discourages you. It so easily tempts you to go in another direction. It's so easy. It just, he said, let it go. Let it go. Let it, let it drop. Drop from your life. Do not allow this to enter into your life. These things are competing with your salvation. And let us run with patience. Let us run with cheerfulness the race that is set before us. Now, what he does is he gives us the, the comparison of our relationship with God to a runner. Now, you'll notice these people when they have marathons, you'll notice that they don't come up there with rocks in their pockets. And they don't have suitcases in their hands. You'll notice this. Okay, they're not wearing big hats. 
You notice that they don't have on big fancy suits. But you notice when they come up, they're very skimpy. They are just kind of shed down to almost skin because they don't need any hindrance. They don't need anything to stop them because they are going to run a marathon. They're going to run all the way. Their plan is not to come in second, though there may be a thousand running. Every one of them say, I'm coming in first. You don't enter into a, a competition to come in second. You enter in to come in first. Amen? He said, this is the way it is with us. We have come into this race, and we strip ourselves of everything that we brought into it. We lay it down. We get rid of those things that were bogging us down, that were heavy in our life. We take the rocks out of our pockets. We lay our suitcases down. We get rid of the baggage. And we say, okay, I'm going to run this race, and nothing is going to stop me. I'm not going to get tired of the block from here. But I'm going to be full of energy, be full of passion. I'm going to be excited about this race, and nothing is going to stop me. And we run this race, the Apostle Paul says, and we look unto Jesus. We're looking at the goal. We're looking to Jesus. He's standing there at the tape, and he's watching us, and he's saying, come on, come on, come on. You can make it. Come on, come on. And we keep running, and we keep running, and we keep running. He said, we run it with cheerfulness. We run it with patience. We run it with joy. We're glad we're in the race. Hallelujah. We're going to win the prize, and we keep running. And Jesus is at the end and said, Come on, come on, you're going to win. You're going to make it. Come on, keep running, keep running. And we continue. Somebody say amen. Now, so there are things that we have to strip ourselves of, the Apostle Paul says. We look unto Jesus just as he did. Now, notice he said, he even says Jesus is involved here. He says, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. He went through the cross with joy. He despised the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, he's receiving his reward because he overcame, he conquered, he defeated the enemy, and now he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, God is adamant when he says there are things that we have to flush from our lives. There are things that we have to let go because these are things that hinder us. These are things that make us sick. These are things that pollute our thinking and our faith. Give us our next PowerPoint. This is what wisdom says, and you need wisdom when you're, when you're serving God. In fact, you need to ask God for wisdom daily. God, I need wisdom. I need spiritual wisdom so that I will know to make the right decisions. So God, that I will know exactly what it is you want me to do today. Yes, God, I need your wisdom. Wisdom says, first of all, you are to repent of your sins. To repent means you change your mind. You change your direction. You're going in one direction, and you turn and go the other way. You change. You change your habits. You change. Second of all, you eliminate those things from your life that were, were so detrimental to you, those things that were hurtful to you. Third, you clean up. 
Clean up your life. Now, we need help in that area to clean up, and that's the reason the Bible says that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. It's, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and makes us whiter than snow. And then next, we live the abundant life. We live abundantly in every facet of our life. We live. We live because this is what God wants for our lives. Can you say amen? amen. So those disgusting and putrid and offensive things that were clinging to us when we came to God, we let them go. We said, okay, I'm not doing those anymore. I changed my mind. I changed my attitude. I changed the way I think. And I'm eliminating these things from our life, from my life. Go with me to 1 John 1, 9. 1 John, the first chapter, I go to the ninth verse. 1 John 1, 9. When you have it, say, praise God. Read it with me. Let's read. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness, but what? All unrighteousness, which is immoral action or unethical activity. He said he cleanses us. Now notice this. He said if we confess. Now notice the word if. Let me hear you say if. So it means that it's conditional on us. If we, if we, if we, let me hear you say if I will confess my sins. Now what that means is if you confess, that means you're guilty. Anyone who confesses means is saying I'm guilty. So you're saying, God, I'm guilty. I've sinned against you. I've disobeyed you, so I confess my sins to you, and now I ask you, Lord, to change my mind, change my spirit, change my attitude, change my outlook on life, Lord. Change me. I need that change, and only you are able to do that. Now, notice what he says here. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. You can depend on God. Anyone who is faithful is dependable. Every employer depends on a faithful employee. Am I right or wrong? Can't, you can't depend on somebody that is sporadic. They're there, then they're not there. They show up, then they don't show up. They come in late, they leave early. You, you, say, you, can't, you can't depend, you can't, you know, they're not faithful. They're not faithful. Notice here, God is faithful. He's as faithful as the sun. Every morning it comes up in the east, and every evening it goes down in the west. I guarantee you, I'll put my life on the line. It's going to come up again in the morning, right over there. And it's going to go down right over there. It's faithful. I know it. It's going to do it. I don't even think about it. It's going to happen. That's faithfulness. Notice, God is faithful. Notice what he's faithful to do. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins. The word just means he is righteous. He is holy and he will forgive us of our sins. Forgive us. Not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he takes our sins, he bundles them up, and he throws them into the sea to never be found, to never be remembered, to never be dug up. They're gone. Gone. 
He said, this is what he does. And then on top of that, not only does he do that, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He takes us and he scrubs us. Praise God. He gives us a good bath. Amen. A good scrubbing. And he scrubs our spirit. He scrubs our mind. He scrubs, he scrubs our lives. Yes. And we begin to change. We begin to change. This is what he does when we come to him and we surrender our lives to him. Somebody say, praise God. I want you to go with me to St. John, the fifth chapter, the 14th verse. I want you to see something here. This is a good example of what we're talking about. Jesus gives us an example here in St. John, the fifth chapter, and the 14th verse. We're only going to read one verse, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the story to you. If you have St. John 5, 14, say praise God. Read it with me. Are you ready? Let's read. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Thou art made what? Whole. Keep reading. Sin no more. Do what? Sin no more. Keep reading. Lest the worst thing. Now, Jesus is talking to a man who has been in an immobile position on the same bed, same cot, in the same place for 38 years. Now, I want you to think of this. Some people, they lay in a hospital bed for a few months. And I've been told that they start getting bed sores. I don't know. I guess they do. I don't know. I've been told also that their clots begin to form in their legs. They begin to have problems in that area. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Yeah, they do. Okay. This begins to happen because they're in one position. They're immobile. And their body begins to break down in that position. Breaks down even more. This man has been there not 38 months, but 38 years. He even said, I couldn't even get into the water when it would get stirred up by an angel so I could be healed. He said, because there was nobody there to pick me up and help me. He couldn't move. He needed somebody to come and grab him and take him over and put him in the water for 38 years. Nobody could help him. Jesus comes by and he sees him there. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. That's all he said, just rise, take up your bed and walk. The man didn't even know who he was. Life comes to his body. Inspiration comes to his mind and his spirit. And he goes, Whoa, and he stands up for the first time in 38 years. He grabs his bed, and he starts walking. Now, we pick up the story here where he goes into the temple. Now, notice this. This is a place. Give, give us our next PowerPoint because this is critical. The man is in the house of God right now just after he got healed. Now, notice Jesus said, you have been made whole. He didn't say you were healed. He said you were made whole, which means the whole pie. You got it all. You got every facet of life. I have made you whole. You get 100%. And he makes his way to the house. Immediately, he makes his way to the house of God. He goes there where all who want abundant life are. If we are thankful for what God has done for us, we need to be grateful to go to God's house, just as this man was. 
If we're thankful for what God, God has done, how he has healed us, how he has saved us, how he has delivered us, how he has set us free, how he has blessed us, how he has taken us from the pit and he has put us on top. If we're grateful, we should be more than happy, more than desirous to go to God's house. I can hardly wait to get to God's house because I want to thank him. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know what the enemy has done with me. And when I get to the house of God, I rejoice and say, thank you, God. And some people say, well, he's crazy. That guy, that guy is a nut. Look how he worships God. You don't know what I've just come out of. You just, you don't know what I'm thanking God for. Said, oh God, thank you. My God, oh God, you're the one who delivered me. You're the one. And people don't understand. You see, we don't understand why people get so radical for God because we don't know what God has done in their life. We don't know how God has changed their life. We don't know how God has transformed their life. We don't know how God has delivered them from the pit. We don't know how God has taken the cancer away from their body and now they're totally healed. And then they come to the house of God and they go, hallelujah, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You've been good to me. Oh, I praise you. I worship you. I glorify you. That's what we do. We thank God in the house of God. You do it in Walmart, they'll re- arrest you. I guarantee you they'll arrest you. I'm just praising God. We don't, you don't do it here. But in the house of God, it's okay. This man makes his way to the house of God to worship God, to thank God. I, for 38 years, God, I haven't been inside your house. For 38 years, I haven't heard a message. I haven't heard amazing grace. I haven't, God, for 38 years, I've been sitting in one spot. Thank you, God. And Jesus finds him there in the temple. And Jesus says that his sickness was attributed to his sin. Now, what that sin was, we don't know. Now, but what we do know is this. Sin is the direct cause of sickness, of pain, of trouble, of war, of death. Now, this does not necessarily mean we have sinned if we are experiencing these things. It just means that sin is the bottom line. Sin is the dominant factor. Sin is the reason for all these things in the world. Now, the Word of God tells us that there are some sins that are unto death, unto sickness. There are some sins that are not unto death or unto sickness. But Jesus said to this man in particular, just to this man in particular, your sin is the cause for your crippling sickness. Now he says to him, therefore, eliminate sin from your life, lest a worse thing come on you. Now what what could be any worse than lying in one spot for 38 years? I don't know, but Jesus knew. He said, whatever your sin was, don't do it anymore. Don't sin anymore because something worse will come upon you. It's kind of like this. If you were experiencing 
agonizing pain. And you went to your doctor and you said, doctor, I'm experiencing horrible pain. And he examines you and he said, oh, this is your problem. You're eating too many turnips. So you need to eliminate turnips from your diet. Now, if you don't, you're going to experience a worse affliction. Something worse is going to come upon you. Now, what do you think you would do? Would you go home and start eating turnips? No more turnips in my life. I'm through with turnips because I want to recover. This is what Jesus is saying. Eliminate that sin. I'm your doctor. I'm your God. It's that sin that's causing you to be messed up. Eliminate it from your life. Lest something worse will come upon you. So Jesus is telling us there are things that we've got to eliminate. There are things that we've got to tear down. There are things that we really like. Oh man, I don't want to give that up. But you've got to make the choice. I'm either going to live the abundant life or I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And I am not going to blame God when things go awry, when things go wrong. I can't blame God. I can't blame anybody else. I refuse to listen to God. Now, we don't know what this man did. Hopefully, he listened to Jesus. He said, I eliminate everything that has been hurtful to my life. And hopefully, he began to be an example and a witness to others what God can do in your life. You see, I want you to go one more scripture. Let's go to Revelation 3.19. Revelation 3.19. I want you to see what Jesus has to say here. Revelation, the third chapter, let's go to the 19th verse. Notice what he says here. Jesus is talking. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Read that with me. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. More parents need to be saying that. You mean you love me and you're rebuking me? Yeah, that's the reason I'm rebuking you because I love you. I'm disciplining you because I love you, Jesus says. I love you. I'm disciplining you. There are things in your life you need to stop. You need, you need to get rid of. I'm chastening you. Our children today don't know right from wrong because their parents won't chasten them, won't discipline them, won't tell them. So what do they do? They go to the internet and they begin to talk to everybody else and say, what do you think? What, what is your opinion? What? And they get this whole world view of life and it's all confusing. It's all messed up instead of getting direct input from the Word of God. Now notice what he says here. He said, be zealous, therefore, and repent. In other words, be passionate for God. Be passionate for God. Be hot for God. And change your mind. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Notice what Jesus says. I am not an intruder. I will not force my way into your, into your life. I will, 
I won't knock your door down. I just stand at your door and knock. But if you will listen to me, if you will open the door, if you will invite me in, I'll come in and we're going to have a great fellowship together. And you and I are going to have a great relationship. Then in 21, he says to him that overcometh. That word overcome is Nike in the Greek, which means to conquer and succeed. That's the same Nike you see on shirts and shoes, Nike, to conquer and succeed. He said, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? I'm going to, if you overcome, if you are, if you conquer and if you succeed, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. This is what the Lord wants for your life. He wants you to stop putting him off. He wants you to repent. He wants you to tear down the old life. He wants you to build the new life. Today is your day. Today is the day to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is your day to renew your mind. This is your time. This is your opportunity. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? to the Lord right now, would you just worship him?